Bonjour and bienvenue to Lulabelle's Francophiles. Je m'appelle Lou and in this podcast I will help you to keep your Frenchy vibes fluttering and lose yourself in a momentary escape to France without even leaving home. In each episode we chat about our French experiences with guests who live in Australia, in France and right around the world and we share ideas for how to satisfy the Francophile within you. Francophilers can now also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Francophile Fix, where I post little movies and clips to keep us all connected to France. You can find the link to the Francophile Fix YouTube channel in the show notes from today's episode, as well as the Little Bells Francophiles website, Instagram, and a fabulous Frenchy Spotify playlist. Alors, aujourd'hui, my guest has a French story that goes back generations and countries. Nicole Ress is Melbourne's go-to Frenchie for language and travel, and she is also just a gorgeous person to be around. So I'm looking forward to chatting to her today. Bienvenue, Little Bells Francophiles, Nicole. Ça va? Oh, ça va très bien, merci. Et toi? Ça va bien, merci. Now, Nicole, <laughs> yeah, there is so much to delve into and uncover about your story. There's so many layers. So I'll start at the beginning or, well, it's probably not the beginning, but at beginning for me, perhaps, you were raised in a French-speaking household. Tell me a little bit about your family history because it actually goes back quite a bit further than when you were born. It's back before that. Yes. Uh, well, mum's French and uh, she's from Paris and we were brought up speaking French, which was fantastic. Mm. And we actually grew up in my grandfather and father's hotel in the city. Ah, so yeah. in Collins Street, it was the Res Oriental Hotel. And so I'll just take you back a little step that sure. when mum came to Melbourne from Paris in 1955, she met dad by chance. It's another story. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say that for over a rosé. And anyway, <laughs> so she came into Collins Street and she saw the hotel and she said, oh, your hotel's amazing and it really reminds me of Paris here with the plane trees, Collins Street, all you're missing are tables and chairs and umbrellas outside. You know the mayor, you know the premier, why don't you go and do something about it? My grandfather was on the city council. Ah. Anyway, so Dad applied and got the first outdoor cafe licence in 1957 ah. and he coined the phrase... Uh, the Res Oriental, the hotel at the Paris end of Collins Street. So, ah. so Mum always would say, c'est moi, Bibi, she used to call herself. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was really amazing. And so growing up in that environment with Mum and every Sunday her brother would come over. He had to, he had come to Australia first and he started up a cafe in Elstonwick. Mm -hmm. So he used to bring these coffee beans to Mum. By the way, I don't drink coffee ever, oh. never had ever, ever had a coffee, I think maybe that power, overpowering, you know, smell of coffee maybe put me off. But mum would play Charles Aznavour or Mireille Mathieu every Sunday and uh, Uncle George would come over with his coffee and it was just a really beautiful environment. Mum was an amazing cook. Oh. So, you know, she would cook very, very beautiful things. Um, I'm just trying to think of a whole range of things. Like the first thing that comes to my mind, which really isn't very French, is a beef stroganoff. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the first thing. But I think her claim to fame really were her cakes. Mum mm. became quite a patissière and she always said that Dad never put on weight. And oh. for her, baking with passion. And so she used, she was self-taught. 
and she made the most amazing cakes. Yeah, how was, lovely! And so your family was a hotel family going back. Hotel uh, family, quite a yes. My grandfather started in the twenties, mm-hmm. and um, and then my father worked, and then actually my brothers and I worked, and we had um, the Faulkner Club in South Yarra and the Mitre Tavern oh. in the city. We mm-hmm. had Beaconsfield and St Kilda, mm-hmm. and so I ran the Faulkner Club for over twenty years, and mm. also worked at the Mitre Tavern in the city, and um, it was really quite interesting. Just I think in the city, you know, going back to being a child, I, I like to say that I was a bit like Eloise growing mm-hmm. up at the plaza, our backyard with the Fitzroy and Treasury Gardens. Ah, and there were, yes. you know, it was an international hotel. So a lot of international people came and stayed. Maurice Chevalier stayed with us and we've got a photo of him. Ah. He signed it. So it was really a wonderful environment living in the city. Yes. Mum brought us up very French, you know, with her rules and, you know, we were not allowed to leave the table unless we said, Maman, puis-je quitter la table? Mm. May I leave the table, right? She was very much rule-based, like, or very polite. You know, we were very polite. It was almost like we'd done a you know, finishing school when we were small children. Oh, you know, really? she was very disciplined and very polite the way we were brought up. Yeah. So you spoke only French at home. I read. Well, Dad, Dad just spoke English, mm. but he spoke very good traveller's French because mm. he was a hotelier and had travelled already, you know, by ship. He'd gone mm. to Europe and America. So he was very, you know, his savoir-faire was mm-hmm. such that he knew the right things to say in French. But, yeah, Mum brought us up speaking French. So we were fluent in French before we went to school. Oh, which Really? Was- and then my daughter, mum and I spoke to her in French when she was born. So oh. she's bilingual also. Oh, how fabulous. So your mother really instilled those French uh, rules, as you said. Did you follow the other French customs truly and faithfully to how they would have been followed in France, like the other French traditions? Um, probably not. Mum adapted pretty much to being Australian, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of her heritage in the way she dressed Mm. Um, you know, the way she spoke, just her elegance. She just passed away recently, actually, I should say. And everybody says that they remember her beauty and her elegance. Mm. Um, that was so natural. Yeah. You know, it, was, it wasn't forced. She always, you know, made up and just ev- everything was just in the right place. The way I imagine it, her Frenchness was actually a lived thing rather than an event to just pop in and out of. It was a way of life. You know, I I actually said to my daughter the other day that it was amazing, our heritage, and just the way that we were brought up with a completely different culture Mm. alongside our Australian one. So it wasn't as if we were just brought up on, you know, meat pies, tomato sauce, Mm. you know, the, the whole concept of um, the way she set the table, the way she entertained, the way Mm. she presented herself. And I think it's just wonderful Mm. to grow up with that double culture, you know, and and, uh, I think the history as well, you know, we were always learning different things, Mm. not only about 
the way we lived here in Australia, you mm-hmm. know, about life in Paris. Mum travelled a lot. We travelled mm-hmm. with them. We were really fortunate because Dad was in the hotel business. So, yes. you know, we did travel a lot. Dad was in 1962, I think it was, he created the Melbourne Tourist Convention. He did oh. a lot of research. He was president of the Australian Hotels Association Residential Division and looked at ways of bringing people into Melbourne And the research that he did showed that it was through conventions bringing people into Melbourne. So Dad was very instrumental. And then he also went on to the Melbourne City Council with his Mm -hmm. father. They were the Mm -hmm. first ever father and son on the council. So Mm -hmm. Mum was very involved with him. You know, she was a fantastic hostess. So travelling was very important. And I woke up one morning when, I mean, I studied right through school, I was at Lauriston and did mm. French out to Margaret Rogers. was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I majored in French at, at Melbourne University. Mm-hmm. And then I just woke up one morning and I said to mum, I've got to go to Paris. It's it's calling me. I've got to go and, and live there. Even though I was speaking French with her, I felt I needed more. Yeah. So she uh, called up her best friend in Paris, Claudine, and uh, said, uh, Nicole arrive, mm-hmm. <laughs> Nicole coming. Yes. And I stayed with them for six months. And then I found a studio in Montparnasse. I lived right next door to La Coupole, which is oh, very famous. Yes, Cafe. I know La Coupole. La Coupole, mum would share stories with me about how she and her sister, Auntie Rosette, they used to go dancing. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Thé Dansant. So a tea is they would go like tea, Mm -hmm. but like in the afternoon, they would dance in the afternoon and mum would tell stories how, you know, the men would dance and and mum and auntie used to make their own clothes. Like mum, they had dress design. So so at La Coupole, there are photos on the wall of that, of that period. Yeah, Yeah, because I've been there on my very first time in Paris. I was fortunate enough to be taken out to dinner there and I was looking at all of these fabulous photos of this different era. Oh, it was just exquisite. It was fabulous. Yes, mum used to go there and um, so going back when I was staying with Claudine, so Claudine and Leon, they did not speak a word of English. And so... That's good for you. It was amazing. What was I to do? Mm. I just had to step up Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and, you know, embrace it And, and it was amazing and I was just thinking that what I learned from her as well and just the ease with which she would make a meal in this little kitchen and, you know, just the simple ease of making a salad dressing. I was thinking the other day I saw shallots Mm. and it just took me a flashback to mum and Claudine how they would take the shallot and they would just chop it up, a little bit of moutarde and, Mm. you know, vinaigrette, like to make like a simple vinaigrette but just so fabulous. I was thinking also when I saw these shallots and I looked, I saw a woman picked up some asparagus Mm. and I said, oh, what are you going to do with the asparagus? So she was really Aussie Mm. and she said, oh, I'm going out to someone and I'm going to wrap them in white bread. Oh, yes, the asparagus rolls. And then I said to her, oh, that's so interesting. I said, my mother doesn't do that. She gets a vegetable peeler. She peels the ends, right, Mm. so she scrapes Mm. off the Mm. ends of the asparagus and then she just cooks them very, very quickly, like blanches Blanching. them, mm-hmm. always under cold water to make sure that the colour remains. Mm-hmm. And then she'd put her beautiful vinaigrette on the top mm-hmm. and then she would grate hard-boiled egg. So here was I telling oh. this one at the supermarket about how my French mother makes her asparagus 
And, you know, so there you go. Like there's that, you know, that cultural comparison of... of so um, different. The asparagus rolls that I remember in Australia were always with tinned asparagus. I mean, it's just exactly. horrific compared to that beautiful asparagus you're talking about from, right? yeah, from your mother. Yeah. So just going back to mum and living in Paris, mm. I was 22, I think, 21. Mm. So I can just imagine mum thinking, how is Nicole going to manage to get an apartment. Anyway, so she came over and the hardest thing, and she would even complain, and I probably, I hope I don't offend anybody when I say this, but les fonctionnaires, fonctionnaires, the public service. And it was really, really difficult to, in those days, like to get the phone on and the electricity and the water. So here was my mum helping me get all of this happening. And then how do we furnish a studio? What is a studio? A studio is just one room. Mm and a kitchen in the cupboard, right? So it was this fabulous little place. So mum said, I know what you've got to do. We found a couch that the arm came off, the Velcro, and then opened out sort of like a futon. Oh, okay, yeah. So she decorated my studio. It looked amazing. So you'd walk in and you'd say, oh, wow, how many bedrooms do you have here? Because you'd think it was the lounge. So when you're standing in the bedroom, (laughs) what do you mean standing in the bedroom? Well, what my mum created, you know. So again, you know, just that flair that she had, and I think that's, you know, just, I mean, you could say, all right, well, Australians have got that flair. Yes, you know, I don't want to put anybody down. But mum, mum just, I think that that. Just that little French chic that she managed to do, yeah. Living in Paris was probably a turning point in my life from... How long were you there? A year. A year. And, uh, yeah, I did some studies at the Sorbonne Uh and worked when I arrived. You know, Australians used to eat their meat quite well done. And I got to Paris and there was that didn't exist. Bien cuit, what was that? That's like a shoe. No way. No. Me, minimum, you know, senior <laughs> is medium rare, right? And then I, now I eat my meat rare, you know. Mm, <laughs> so mm. that, Isn't that it was, funny? That was a big yeah. And I think it's become more and more common in Australia now that we have evolved, I think, of from course, those we times. Have I mean, that's quite a while ago. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So tell me, when you travelled as a child, because you talked about having been quite fortunate to be able to travel then, what was it like when you travelled in France when you were younger with your family? We mainly went to Paris, mm-hmm. to be honest. We didn't really discover too much except I think the highlight my dad, in that year when I lived there, my dad won the trifecta of the Melbourne Cup <gasps> and everybody was oh saying, goodness. oh, what's the guy, Suzanne, mum? And dad says, no, I'm going to see Nicole in Paris. Mm. Anyway, so he came over, I can't remember, maybe a, a week or ten days, and he said to me on the phone, he said, I used to know Victor Lanson, who was the head of Lanson Champagne. Mm-hmm. He said, see what you can do. I think we should go there. Oh. And so I rang them and I, you know, told the whole story and whatever, and they said, you must come. And the people in Champagne are even still to this day, they're just so welcoming and so hospitable. Yes. So I hired a car. Now, you've got to remember, like, traffic is difficult yes. in Paris. Yes. but wasn't the traffic that there is today, but nevertheless, mm. here was I confidently driving out of Paris around Etoile, that's right. the Arc de Triomphe, mm-hmm. 
dad saying, oh, my gosh, like I, I stopped. I can see myself with dad in the car and there was the gendarme and I'm asking him which way the hell do I get out of this mess. And so we arrived in Champagne and we went and the very first time Nouvelle Cuisine had just come in and we experienced a meal like we had never experienced before. So Nouvelle Cuisine, much smaller portions, the sauces were not creamy anymore. It was the jus. It was the, you know, the reduction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was the most incredible experience. And I think the highlight for Dad and I, they came with this beautiful trolley with ice cream that were in silver, beautiful, proper silver, insulated like cylinders that were in a a guéridon, like a trolley where, Mm -hmm. you know, they they would serve the crêpe Suzette, right? So they would push this trolley Mm -hmm. with these beautiful silver canisters and I don't know if you understand the word cannelle. Cannelle with the spoons. They take two spoons, Mm -hmm. yeah, two dessert spoons, and then they create that beautiful elliptical shape of ice cream and then would serve that. And and also what they did when they served the food that we hadn't seen, they brought the food to the table simultaneously and it was covered with a cloche. And so they would put the two plates in front of Dad and I and then they lifted that off. And then the first time that we ever ate magret de canard. So that's the duck breast mm-hmm. that was called a rosé, like it was mm-hmm. pink, mm-hmm. and it was served with pêche, with peach. Oh. And we would just look at, look at it. This is, this is a long time ago, right? I mean, this is like, you know, sorry, I'm kind of dating myself. But anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lived experience, you know. It's in Again, the 80s, let's yeah, just, just right. say that. It was definitely, it was 1980. Mm. So we were there at the very beginning. Mm. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty amazing. Your experience. father would have been absolutely enthralled by that, being a hotelier and having restaurants here in Melbourne and us in Australia not having that kind of cultural sophistication. So yeah. did he then bring that back to Australia? He did in our restaurants. So he had, after that, in 1981, he bought the Faulkner Club and uh-huh. he lured me back from France. He goes, I'll oh, come back and help me run the Faulkner Club, right? I was 22. Mm-hmm. And so came back and then in 1984, we created Tiffany's on the Park, which was our mm-hmm. fine dining room. Mm-hmm. So we did that. Like we really created an amazing dining experience for people. It was just really splendid. Um, I was just thinking of a funny food experience with my mum Mum and I travelled to Paris for a special birthday and at the time I'd taken a bit of a break working with Dad and I was with CUB and Mm -hmm. I was the National PR Manager of the Wine and Spirits Division Mm -hmm. and we looked after Veuve Clicquot and Laurent Perrier, Champagne. Mm -hmm. And it was the days of facts had just come out. So I get this fax from Veuve Clicquot and it said, we're running this amazing event. Do you think this would be interesting for the Australian press? And what it was, there was a journalist. Do you remember um, when the Age Good Food Guide first came out, Rita Ehrlich and Claude Farrell? Yes. So this journalist, Jean Ferniot, he was like Claude Farrell. He was actually a political journalist Mm -hmm. who was a food critic as well. And he was turning 70. And so Verve Clicquot planned this incredible event and they had seven regional buffets <gasps> with 70 top chefs of France for 700 people at Le Doyen. <gasps> and so I wrote back and I said, well, 
what date is it? And so they wrote the date and I said, well, hallelujah. Yes, it's going to be amazing for the for the Australian press. And guess what? I'm going to be in Paris with my mother at the same time. So we'll come and we'll cover it ourselves. We'll take photos and thank oh. you very much. We'd love to attend. So mum and I went to this event. Now, my mother never, ever wore black. Oh. And she said before we left, she said, Oh, I have to take, you know, my dress such and such. And I said, no, don't be silly. We're going to, we'll buy something in Paris. Well, guess what? We could not find a dress for my mother and she had to buy a black, <gasps> a black jacket and skirt. She was horrified. She was so upset with me because I had said, of course, you'll buy something. She could just at that time, the season, whatever. I think it was in August for memory and um, it was just coming September. Bizarrely, we actually think of Parisian women often wearing black. Yeah, not my mother. No. It had to be a little bit of beading smart casual in colour. Ah. <laughs> it was no, no black. So have you lived, I know you've lived in Paris, clearly, because you just talked about that, but have you lived in the regional areas somewhere outside of Paris as well in France? I haven't lived. Mm. Uh, it is definitely on my bucket list, but I've always been too busy mm. either running the hotel and, mm. you know, raising a child and whatever. And my husband's American and doesn't speak French. But I, I, I have spent, you know, many weeks and I really love Provence. I've done a lot of driving trips. Actually, I used to spend a lot of time in Vence, which oh. is inland from Nice. Very historic. I don't know if you ever saw the Roserie Chapel from Matisse. Did you go I, there? No, I haven't Vence? been there, but I know that's on my bucket list. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Claudine, they used to take an apartment every summer. And so oh. it, I would go every year and I would stay with them. And then one year, 84, mm-hmm. um, I was invited in Bordeaux, the association, they invited industry people to participate in this incredible, like an internship, stage, they call it in French. And we visited all the premier wine estate, the Chateau in Bordeaux, and from Rothschild to Chateau d'Iquem, Pichon-Lalande, like Mm. just the most amazing, you know, premier concru. But the experience where we were actually tasting the wine, so they used to call it emprimeur, mm-hmm. which is like futures. So you would be tasting the wine ahead mm. of it being bottled. Oh. And so we were tasting the wine. They were The pipette is like, you know, like a... Like a, a syringe. Oh, a syringe, exactly. Mm. And so they would take the wine out of the barrel mm-hmm. and we would taste it so we were there in 1984 and we were tasting 1982, which at oh. that time was the vintage of the century. Yes. And they still say today, like they look at 82 as, you know, wow. So it was an incredible experience. Mm. And when I came back, I said to my father, I said, I think we should buy some Emprimeur. And we did. We bought Pichon Lalande at about $22 a bottle. Oh. And then we drank most of it, Dad and I. And yes. then we sold some that we had left, not much, let me tell you, that we probably should have. But when we did sell it, I'm just trying to think how many years to give you an idea, but it was something like $250 a bottle. Oh, later. Again, unfortunately, we didn't have that much to sell. It was yeah, like it would have been great like, to sell a whole lot. We did drink it, but that was interesting. And I think that really opened my eyes up to Provence because Claudine had said to me, drive from Vence to Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the French franc was 10 to the dollar. So right. you were getting incredible value. Yeah. And I 
driving through these regions and I stopped off and the most memorable was in Les Beaux de Provence. Have you been to Les Beaux? No, I haven't been to Les Beaux. So Les Beaux de Provence, that's where they discovered bauxite and so it's in the Alpi region. So yep. you go through the Val d'Enfer, it's craggy mountain ranges like yes. so you can just imagine this, you know, sauvage, you mm. know, you, you can visualise some of Van Gogh's paintings. Mm-hmm. A lot of his paintings, you you experience the, the wildness of the region with mm. the olive trees and, you know, you can just feel the mistral. Mm. Anyway, so Les Beaux is a perched village and back in 1984, there was no tourism. There was nothing there. Oh, so it was, you unspoiled. know, so you go through unspoiled. So put it on your bucket list. Mm-hmm. That's a very long drive, though, back then. I mean, it's long now with probably yes. much better roads and, you know, highways and things. But back then, from Vence up to Bordeaux, that's a, Bordeaux. That's a very long uh, road you know trip. What? I don't even know when I think about it. I thought, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, another fantastic experience. So, okay, fast forward. And uh, well, it's not fast forward, but it's in that vintage. So, in Melbourne, number one, I spoke French. I'm in the business. And, you know, when they wheel in the Frenchies, you know, hello, Nicole, come along, mm-hmm. which was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so, Rémi Krug from Krug Champagne, mm-hmm. they launched what was called Claude Menil. So the claw is like an enclosed, I want to use field, but it was it was small. It was almost yeah. like a backyard. You yeah. know, it was small, yeah. but it's walled. Mm-hmm. And so the grapes were hand-picked and hand-crushed and they weren't even releasing for the Australian market. It was really just a showcase. Oh, okay. So came and then Roger Verger, who was the amazing chef from Mougin, his mm-hmm. restaurant was called the Moulin de Mougin, he was out to promote his cooking school. So he had these two great Frenchmen and I'm sitting Mm. there and Roger Verger is saying, you know, you must come and and do a cooking class. Who wants to come to Mougin? And I'm saying, well, when would this be? And anyway, guess what? I went and did it. And I stayed with my mum's cousin who lives so Valoris was the next town from Mougin. So, again, I had started off with Claudine in Vence, picked up my car Mm -hmm. and then, like just amazing. No one else was in the class, Lulu. I was oh. by myself with the <gasps> chef. And so we, the classes were incredible. And then after the class, so, you know, it would be lunchtime, Nicole, qu'est-ce que tu fais cet après-midi? What are you doing this afternoon? Mm. And I'd say, rien. So then the head chef would say to me, on va à Cannes, tu veux venir avec nous? You know, we're going to Cannes. Do you want to come with us? Oh, of course. Yes, of course. <laughs> so we'd go and we'd meet the maître fromager. And then they'd say to me, what are you doing tonight? And I'd say, well, nothing. Do you want to come and work in the kitchen? Yes, please. So yes. I'd be in the pastry section just, you know, taking the leaves off of something, anything, peeling oh. beans in with the vegetable section. Oh, my gosh, Lulu, like yeah. now I'm, you, you've got me, yeah. you know, walking my yeah. own memory. Line here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, it's so lovely know. to actually go back and escape, you know, in those kinds of memories. And I love when you paint that kind of picture, I can really vividly imagine it, which is really lovely as well. How do you stay connected to France now when you're in Australia and not in France? What do you do that actually keeps that connection alive for yourself? Good question. Uh, Listen to a lot of music. I'm just addicted. You know, I'm always playing something. I'll send you some some songs, but I'm in love with Patrick Bruel. Oh, yes. He's just divine. He's an actor and a singer. And 
Okay, I'll go back a couple of steps. So dad sold our business. It was only my brothers decided not to be in the business anymore. So it was just dad and I. My daughter was young and it was just all getting, you know, Mm. hectic. So I found myself retired too early and my husband said, why don't you do something with your French? So my daughter was at school and what I found was that the girls who were going into year 10 or 11 doing French, Mm -hmm. there was an exchange program and, you know, if it was appropriate and available, they would go to France to perfect their French. Yes. And so I found that, you know, I saw through the connection with my daughter and at school, I saw that that was really hard for them to do because they could write, they could read, Mm -hmm. and they couldn't speak, and they were very limited with that, their exposure. So I turned myself into a tutor, like a very dear friend had been a teacher. We bumped into each other one day and she said to me, how come your French is so good, you know, and I said, oh, hello, you know, I mean, it is. And she said, but your grammar is so up to date and you know so much. Well, because you studied it as well Well, as being brought up with it. I made it in at uni. I lived there. My mother, I grew up with it. Exactly. Anyway, you know, running the hotel for so many years and working with so many young people, empowering them to be the best that they could be in hospitality. Mm. You know, we took, we took our trade very, very seriously. Yeah, Yeah. And, you know, we were really perfectionists. You know, service was number one and, and really making sure that they knew. So I was a very good teacher mm. and I I think I'm very motivating and I'm very energetic and, you know, love to inspire. So I thought, all right, well, I'll do these with the young girls yeah. and get them ready for their trip. And then when they came back to help them stay immersed. Yeah. One thing led to another. And um, one of my students' mothers had a bookshop and she said, my daughter loves you, thinks you're an amazing teacher. What about we do beginner French classes at the bookshop? Yeah. I said, let's give it a go. I think it's a great idea. Anyway, it was fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. She got really busy for Christmas and then a friend of mine who had been working at Francois opened Café Amalia in Armadale and it was a gorgeous little terrace house and there was a room at the back with a table for 14 and I just said, I think this is for me. So I started doing adult classes French classes and it expanded. We were in Entrecote in South Yarra mm-hmm. before they moved to Gravel Street. It's a bit hard. They don't do breakfast now, but mm-hmm. we'd always do it in the mornings. Um, there was another restaurant in South Yarra, two restaurant and bar, um, L'Hôtel Giton in mm-hmm. uh, Commercial Road in Paran. So we're doing classes. So just constantly keeping myself up to date. And it was more than just French. You know, I was teaching people all about France, you know, history, culture, language, Mm -hmm. then, you know, really get involved with music and fashion and food and wine and, you know. how to eat at a French table probably, like your mother taught you. Absolutely. Like we would do Mm. anything from picnics to lunches, dinners. Uh, When the French Film Festival, Alliance Francaise French Film Festival would come on, we would just take in a bunch of movies, discuss it, and then one thing led to another and then I decided, hey, look, everybody's doing so well, why don't we go to France? So we started travelling in small groups as well. So it's just like a bunch of friends going together but I was sharing my passion Mm. uh, in the south of France and Provence because that's like, you know, really Provence. It's like life stands still. It's yeah. like you really live in slow motion and the colour and the sounds, the cicadas, the, you know, Les Seagulls, that are there's songs, you know, it's just yeah. incredible, the smells. And-, and it's a different pace of life in Provence, I think. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I say that it's like life in slow motion there. Yeah, yeah, it it's, is. You know, you go to the markets and, you know, it's not even fast. It's, you know, the way they talk, it's it's a song, it's a movement. Okay. It's it's taking your five senses, well, we've got eight senses, but you take the five main senses that we know and it's like tantalising them to the, they, they get in, to me on steroids. Mm. You know, you go to the market and you watch the rotisserie chicken mm. and the sound of the chicken and you're looking at the potatoes underneath and you see the fat dripping down and the potatoes are cooking in the yeah. chicken fat. I mean, how- And it's all lovely and slow and immersive. Oh, it's mm. fabulous. Yeah, yeah, it is fabulous. But anybody listening who speaks French and wants to, I thought of starting a little bit of a... Frenchy club, just super relaxed that mm. we go to a movie, like, you know, just kind of impromptu once mm. a month, maybe take in a movie, find a French bar, um, maybe go to a restaurant or a cafe or just do something. I'm teaching French now at Reverie Cafe. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so, yeah, so that's what I, I really want to do to stay more connected. And I've mentioned it to a couple of French friends recently and they said, what a great idea, let's do it. So It is a great idea because I think people like to be able to do things that feel kind of natural and it's not, there's no homework. It's just going and actually being able to chat in French and immerse yourself yeah. in French culture yeah. and feel like you've escaped to France momentarily. You know what was amazing, and I think I did say to you, when we, during COVID, and I kept the classes going on Zoom, Mm. and I really embraced the technology, and I found different websites where we could actually do a virtual tour. You know, maybe it was a museum or somebody's Mm -hmm. house, or we might have done something even, you know, I don't know if you've been to Normandy, to the D-Day beaches, there's a a memorial at Caen, you know, and we took in a whole bunch of things so that we could discuss afterwards. So, Mm. you know, it it, it is possible, I think, to have that um, taste of France here. There are a lot of Epicerie, there are cafes. You know, if you just look at what Entrecote did in Greville Street, they've mm. got Le Petit Marché next door. Oh, yeah. And he did the most incredible thing, you know, before Christmas, people were shopping and mm. giving lovely French gifts to people. Mm. I think you've got, there's a lot more, the Paris de Provence Festival. I'm not sure if they're still running it at Como, if that's going to happen this year. But It didn't for a couple of years, and I'm not sure if that was COVID or if that was not happening for other reasons. I'm not sure. But hopefully it does come back this year because I love that that, festival. That was really great. Mm. Um, This weekend there was just uh, So Frenchy, So Chic at Werribee. uh, Alliance Francaise has a Christmas market. You know, so I think we've got a really good French culture like a french community in melbourne i we think do. it's quite good bastille day there's always something yeah and we've got the french film festival coming up in a few weeks there's always right. lots happening we, we do yeah. connect with france quite readily in melbourne i think that people grasp it with enthusiasm that makes me feel like i can connect rather easily all the time which yeah. is great mm. i think through song like yes. i think if you really want to feel french and I always send this, I've got a WhatsApp group with my students and mm. I always put different songs and then when you can Google the song. So let's say if you like, for example, Charles Aznavour, La Bohème, ouais. and another singer called Zaz. I love Zaz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love yeah. Zaz, right? Yeah. And so you can take La Bohème, like so they both sing it and then also Kenji Girac, have mm-hmm. you seen him? He's, yeah. I'll send you 
he was a um, the voice, French voice winner. Yes. And so if you Google the song and then put in lyrics, just like lyric in French mm-hmm. and English, it's the mm-hmm. same. Yeah. And so it comes up with the lyrics. So I send the song with the lyrics so you can do a little bit of a karaoke. So yeah. you can be putting your makeup on in the morning or brushing your hair, making your breakfast, making your coffee or sitting having your coffee and put it on YouTube and then sing along with the lyrics. Yeah. And I swear to you, in three minutes of that song, you will feel French. Well, also, it really helps your fluency. I know that because I listen to French music all the time in the car and I do, like you say, when I'm not sure, like I, when I started singing these songs, I'm singing what I think I'm hearing. But then I go back and check it later on and work out, well, I wasn't quite singing what they were singing. We were kind of on two different planes at the same time. So I check it and then go back. And then when I'm singing it, I know I'm singing the right thing. But also I then understand the meaning. And what I've found since doing that for a number of years is that when I'm in France, I'm picking up words and phrases and things that I didn't really understand before every now and again I get this little pop of recognition and go that I know I know that because I heard it in that song like I'm starting to it really helps with your fluency I think so here's a little tip there's a song just came to my head now okay so Carla Bruni she has a song called Quelqu'un m'a dit oh I love Quelqu'un m'a dit we've we've spoken about that on the podcast before did we Uh, no 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 not with you but I have spoken about it on the podcast before oh okay so Quelqu'un m'a dit is Quelqu'un is someone, yep. Madi is told me, right. Right? right? So that's a song and it's, you know, Quelqu'un m'a dit que mm-hmm. tu m'aimes encore is that you still love me, right? Now, Quelqu'un m'a dit, someone told me. So if you wanted to just grab on that and you say it over and over again, then you could say, oh, Quelqu'un m'a dit qu'il y a un restaurant à Greville Street. Someone mm-hmm. told me there's a restaurant in Greville Street. Yeah. Or, oh, podcast, Lulu, right? Mm-hmm. Someone told me about a podcast. So it's really good. Like you can have a song and that's even a grammatical, like I don't teach grammar. I just try and get straight into conversation. Mm-hmm. But you pick up some different expressions and, you know, sort of pair off a grammatical concept or, or something that might be complicated if you had to learn it. Yeah. But as a song, you can just latch onto it. And then they become second nature. They just flow off right. the tongue. My parents would say that if I had have been able to learn all of my schoolwork in the same way as I did 80s music, I know every 80s song word for word off by heart. If I had been able to do that with my schoolwork, I would have been a Rhodes (laughs) Scholar. But, you know, so I think the music really does help you learn. It's amazing. Yes. I think also it's because it's something that we love, whereas mm. perhaps we didn't love to do our school. <laughs> I know I didn't. <laughs> I think that's it as adults. I think we, you're right. We get to choose what we're doing and we yeah. like it. <laughs> Tell me, I just wanted to ask what you said about feeling French. When you actually went to live in France, did you feel French then? I mean, I know because you've grown up with a French mother that you've had French culture in your home, you're fluent in the French language, but you probably felt French and Australian. When you actually lived there for a time, did you feel more French, do you think? 100%. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's really interesting. We were not able to go overseas now because of COVID mm-hmm. and my husband and I went in September mm-hmm. and I really felt quite, I don't know, something missing you know oh. like I'm I'm a very optimistic happy person mm. I express gratitude every day and you know I felt fine I think that when I arrived in Paris 
I just, it was, there's an expression, just be bien dans ma peau. Like I feel really good in my skin. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that it's very hard to describe. It's a feeling that is just beyond description and it's me. It's part of me Mm. that I am French and part of me was missing not being able to go there. And Mm. so each time that I am back there, it's it's just indescribable really Mm. that Mm. I have got that, you know, that double sense like I'm very happy here. But when I'm there it's just like this speaking French all the time Mm. and I just pinch myself. I, I just... It's just a different. It's just a different feeling. It really is a different feeling. Yes, somehow you are completed. Hundred percent. Yeah, mm. that's right. Mm. Yeah, it's like because I am French. I mean, it's mm. it's my heritage. Yeah. It is there. And my daughter said the same thing, and she she hasn't been as much, obviously, mm. but she said that she described the same feeling. That when yeah. she got there, she just felt quite complete. It's almost mm-hmm. like something's, it's not like there's something missing, you know, I mean, yeah. always feel good, yeah. but it's like there's something extra yeah. when you go yeah. there. Yeah, a little piece of the puzzle that just all of a sudden fits perfectly. That's a nice way to describe mm. it, yeah. Mm. I'll remember that, yeah. So what's coming up for you in 2023? Are there any journeys to France on the horizon now? Yes. Ah. Well, taking my daughter for a special trip that, like my mum and I did at oh, a similar age. Lovely. And um, so, yeah, so that'll be really special. We're going to make memories. And then I'm going with my lovely little group in June. So mm-hmm. we're going to Provence and the Côte d'Azur. So I'm really looking forward. And then I'm going to have a week to myself in Paris. Oh, so, lovely. Uh, yes. So I'm really, really looking forward to this. I thought, okay, this has to be now 23. Now that we can can go, I want to do it. Yeah. Seize the day, right? Sort of make make mm-hmm. memories. Mm-hmm. I'm actually planning with my youngest son, and I'm not sure if it'll be in 23 or 24, but we had a road trip that we had planned to do together in 2020, and the world shut down in the week we were about to leave. So we were incredulous that all of a sudden we weren't going to travel. We thought, how can the world just cancel itself? And, of course, it did. So we're going to now go and do it. And he's now quite a bit older, so he's 18 now. But we're thinking we're going to do a little road trip all down the mountains in between Belgium, France, Germany, Switzerland, Austria, down to Italy and weave in and out of France all the way along. How amazing. You know what I think is so special? Look, I have shared with you memories that I have Mm -hmm. of being with my mum and my dad when I was, you know, in my early 20s. And that's what I want to create for my daughter and what you're doing for your son. And I think it it just enriches our lives to have shared those experiences. And I think so too. And it's just so much fun. And it is very funny with me as an old duck and him as a young buck together. We are a very funny duo when we travel. So it'll be lots of fun. And I'm really looking forward to that. In fact, I'm looking forward to just getting over there. I just feel like you, and clearly I'm not French like you are, but there is something that just connects me to my own soul somehow when I'm there and I don't I quite know what it is. I would be surprised if you, if you did uh, some sort of genealogy. Oh, I you have. Know, you might be connected back to some fabulous 
French queen or someone. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe you I, can find your roots in yeah, the <laughs> I, I do know that I've got a, I don't, can't recall how many times great-grandmother she is, but uh, she was born in Bayonne in 1664. And so oh, yeah, I do know that, but yeah. Well, so, there you go. So you've got French heritage too, my Bella. Yes. Yeah. Wee, wee, wee. And I think sometimes there's a little bit of us that, you know, something when something feeds your soul and you're able to connect with it, it makes my heart sing. And I really love that we're actually able to go back and do that now. It's going to be very special when we can all be doing that a lot more again. Now, um, as you know, Nicole, we have a few questions that we ask every guest of the Little Bells Francophiles. Firstly, cool. you've already touched on foods and I know you're an amazing foodie, so I'm really keen to hear your response to this one. What is your fave French food? It might be something that you order the minute you're back on French soil or it might be something that you like to cook at home. And I know you said your mum was a great cook, even though, you know, the beef stroganoff perhaps is not so French, but her cakes were. But is there something that you really can't wait to tuck into when you're heading back to France? A few things, right? So if we go on the savoury line, Mm -hmm. Salad niçoise, oh, I absolutely love and have to have it everywhere uh-huh. and I love comparing how they do it, whether uh-huh. it's with, you know, a fresh tuna or not. And I love a steak tartare. Oh, so those two things I think, number one. And then I am a complete, and it's my mother's fault, I am a complete addict to patisserie right. and I can go, I swear, where do you, you know, there's a patisserie on every corner, right. literally right next door. I can go like an hour and not stop chewing, you know, because <laughs> I'll keep on something. <laughs> my my favourite would be a tarte au citron oui. meringue, right? Ah. So the lemon tart with the meringue on the top, mm-hmm. like fabulous. Mm-hmm. And then if I can find a tarte au myrtille, myrtille is blueberries, and with a patamon, so it has to pat like they call it a frangipan, like a frangipani Aye. paste at the bottom, like I am in heaven. So they would be, you know, my go-to. Want to have just a quick fix? It'll be a palmier, mm-hmm. like I'm in heaven, and then probably I'm giving you too many. Then a millefeuille. Always, <laughs> And I always think, all right, I have to, you know watch what I'm eating before I go to France and, you know, drop a couple of kilos so I can make sure that <laughs> you've got enough space to, to fit it all in. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I always have to think about that as well because when people are in France, like, you know, I have heard people in Australia say, how the French women, they just never put on weight. Well, the fact is they don't eat everything in the they one day, don't. every day, like we do when we're there for three weeks. We we cram and it all they, in. They'll have it once a week. We have it every day a few times a day, you know. So no and, they and they don't eat dinner. They have a light snack, you know, that yeah. they say that you have to like, what is it? I think it's breakfast, you eat like a king, lunch, you eat like a prince and dinner, you eat like a pauper. Right. You know, that's how they do it. So uh, yeah. They're always, they're running. They don't get in a car. They walk everywhere. They're, you know, 20,000 steps in Paris in a day, easy. I know. And here it'll be, you know, 5,000 if I'm lucky. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm lucky for that. Yeah. <laughs> now, you did mention your favourite artist is Patrick Bruel. Well, Patrick Bruel, I absolutely adore. And then, I mean, I really melt when I hear Charles Aznavour. I just... I love his song, probably because I was brought up on him. Yeah. Do you have a particular favourite song from one of them? I have a few. I do love 
Paris in the month of May, Paris au mois de May. Ah. Paris au mois de May. Oh, so we might lovely. add that one to the Little Bells Francophiles Spotify playlist. And there's there's actually a record. I'll send it to you. Yeah. There's a recording with Charles Aznavour and Zaz doing it together. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Let's do that one. And that would it, be awesome. It's really, it's, it's really special. And if yes. you look at the video clip when they're doing it, because he's an older man, mm. he's just so relaxed and yeah. open to it. He's such a professional. Yeah. yeah. That's a little bit like Veronique Sasson. She did some stuff with uh, Viani and and some other duets she did, but because she's got such experience and she's just so relaxed and she's just so wonderful as an older woman and her voice has got this beautiful depth to it because she's older. It doesn't sound yes. as young as the others. I love hearing those kind of duets with the singers that we've loved who have come through and lived a life and then the new ones that are coming up and I love that they both can embrace each other. I really like that. When you have a look at the clip and they're talking mm. and then they call because it's Zaz mm. and Charles Aznavour, they mm. say Zaznavour. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, That's right. a great, yeah. a great. And term. as an actor, like I love Gérard Depardieu. Oh, wait, wait. he's so That's funny. He's just, right. he's wonderful. Now, I do need to ask you a question that really helps transport our podcast listeners away and float away to France momentarily. Can you describe for me your perfect French day? A perfect French day? Mm. Oh, okay. Where am I going to take you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're staying in Nice. Mm-hmm. And we're going to head to a village called Ez. And uh, Ez is a perched village on the Côte d'Azur. Okay. We're not going to go too far, but we have to drive up higher. And I'm going to take you. I want to make sure that you look out your window as you're driving so that you can take in the Mediterranean as we start to drive up the mountain. Mm-hmm. I've got a special priority parking for you. And so we're going to leave our car and we're going to jump out. There's a little marketplace that's just by the car park. We'll come back to it later and you might like to buy a little jacket or a blouse, maybe some sachets of lavender or maybe we'll we'll pop into Fragonard and smell some perfume and buy a fabulous shopping bag to take home. But let's just follow me and we're going to walk our way up, up, up through the ramparts. We're going to come underneath the archway, look to your left, take out the glistening blue of the Mediterranean. You can barely notice the difference between the horizon as the the sky is just absolutely splendid today. Walk around, take in the cobbled stones. Don't trip. Don't look down too much, but don't forget to look up. Oh, here's my favourite little gallery. Maybe you want to buy a tiny little container from Jean for your granddaughter's teeth when they fall out and you can <laughs> put that aside one day you'll have a grandchild you're not going to have any more children are you? <laughs> definitely not so let's keep coming up i'm feeling a bit thirsty now how about you i think we better pop into la chevre d'or which is a fabulous hotel relais chateau they know me there and we can just wander in and let's take a little seat at their bar, but not inside. I want to take you outside onto the terrace. Watch that step as you go down, Lulu. 
It's a bit steep. Would you like to sit right on the edge so we can take in the fast, vast horizon and looking over the Mediterranean? Or would you like to sit back on one of those couches? You can still see the water. I'll have a Kia Royale. What about you? Oh, yes, one of those for me too, please. Right, you'll have one too. (laughs) And you know what? Their patisseries are pretty good. I can see over there a millefeuille. My shout, let's have the milfoo. Let's raise our glasses and look at the water. I can almost see the Bay of Villefranche as I'm looking at the distance. Okay, you've had enough time now. We've refreshed (laughs) ourselves. Let's walk up the hill. We're turning around. We're walking around this corner. I can see another gallery. Let's go up to the Jardin Exotique. It's oh. wonderful. Let's experience those fabulous cacti, the flowers that are blossoming out of the green leaves, absolutely splendid. Ding dong, I can hear the bell of the square ringing now. It's telling us it's time to head down quickly. I'm taking you out for lunch to the Villa Rothschild in Cap Ferrat. We're going to whisk away and we're going to experience the wonders that she created to embrace everything that the Côte d'Azur stands for. We'll sit under the orange trees and we will walk through the Villa Rothschild and explore how she lived and see life à la Française. And then I'm going to take you back to Nice And I think we'll have time to take in the Chagall Museum, which is one of my favourites. Then perhaps aperitif at the Hotel Negresco, because that's really special, and a walk along the Promenade des Anglais and into the old town, and we can experience some dancing in the street and finish off with an ice cream at Fenocchio. My favourite flavour is going to be noisette, which is hazelnut, aye. and I, you will have a cassis oh, sorbet. Aye. You look like a cassis girl. <laughs> and if you've got room for more, <laughs> if you've got room for more, we can find maybe just another nice place to go and sit on a blue chair that's mm. special for Nice and just look at the Mediterranean. How divine. My tongue's all gone funny from the anticipation of a cassis sorbet. <laughs> we have the Kia Royale now. Wait, we have wait, to- wait. Okay. I'm going to have to go downstairs and have a Kia Royale after we finish our conversation. This is just. We did have a very healthy salad, Niswas, at wait. the Villa Rochelle, mind you, the Too cafe, wait, the wait, Salon de Cafe, sitting under the orange trees. What a beautiful day. That is, is just. That I feel day? like I've been transported and. I all of a sudden feel a bit lighter. That's just such a lovely, well, you're lovely day. You're not really so light because your bag was quite heavy after buying it. Absolutely. But all the best days have got a few things in them that make the bags a bit heavier, I think. Merci for sharing your beautiful story. You're you know, taking us to France virtually, but also sharing so much of yourself and your French story with us today. I've really loved our chat. It's been very special for you to be able to share that with us. J'ai tellement de gratitude pour toi. Merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful for inviting me along. I love what you do. And just keep 
spreading the word and sharing the French flavour with everybody. It's wonderful. Oh. Wish you every success for the future. Merci. I will do that. Alors, c'est tout. Et c'est la fin aujourd'hui. That is all for another Little Bells Francophiles episode. I hope you're enjoying being transported to France just like we were today via our podcast chats with some brilliant guests and their French stories. To be notified when new episodes are released, subscribe on your favourite podcast platform or you can follow Little Bells Francophiles on Insta. That's where you'll also find lots of my personal French photos as well as some from our Little Bells Francophiles guests. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Francophile Fix, where I post little movies and clips to keep your Frenchy vibes going. For all of the links from today's chat, including all of Nicole's links as well as her fave music and a number of resets, head to the Little Bells Francophiles website to blog post number 91. That's Catrafant Ons. The website link is in the show notes for today's episode as well. And come and join me next time on the Little Bells Francophiles and together we can stay connected to one of our fave destinations, France. Au revoir. Merci encore, Nicole. Merci à vous. Au revoir de moi, Louise Puichard. Bonne journée et à bientôt, mes amis.